something that was kind of standing out to me in the Sunday school lesson, talking about fear there and the fear of the Israelites. And uh, I was thinking about it that it seemed like David had not an ounce of fear. But then, thinking a little more, actually he did have a little bit of fear. And that was when he took man's armor, the unproven armor on himself. That there was a fear there because it was not proven. And how often do we have it so turned around that we're afraid of the proven armor of God and we think we can handle it? We're afraid to let go. So I just want to um, just take that as a challenge for my life, not to fear the armor of God, but to fear when I get in the way, when I try to fight the battles on my own. Psalm 99.5 says, Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. I've entitled my message this morning, A Holy God. And I just want to attempt to bring a picture of God in his holiness. And um, it also, uh, just looking at, at ourselves as well, and our, our call to be holy people. So I was thinking about holiness and, and thinking of God being holy. I was, was um, searching a little bit for what does it mean that God is holy. And just a, a couple different thoughts on what it means for God to be holy. In writing about God's holiness, Harold Martin says, God is free from evil. And then he goes on, he says, he is absolutely clean and pure and free from all defilement. God is holy. The dictionary says that holiness, or holy, is exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Speaking of none other than God. And then just a, a few thoughts from um, my Power Bible, the, the quick um, Hebrew and Greek references there to holy. Uh, just some words I pulled out. Most of the words there are sacred, sanctity, consecrated, dedicated, hallowed, pure, morally blameless or religious, and then also the word ceremonially. And then one other source, um, a commentary that I was reading, uh, it's called The Treasury of David, a commentary on the Psalms, also in my Power Bible. It says that holiness is the harmony of all the virtues 
The Lord has not one glorious attribute alone or in excess, but all glories are in him as a whole. So looking at the subject of God's holiness is, is a large subject, a large subject that we as man, as unholy, as, as finite man, can, can really not grasp. We can get a little bit of a glimpse of God and his holiness. But here, while on this earth, I, I don't believe we can have a picture that really just does justice to who God is. Speaking of it being a, a um, large subject, again back to Power Bible, doing a search on the word holy. Actually didn't, didn't uh, take an exact number. I should have looked at that for sure. I think it was over 500 references to just the word holy, not the word holiness just holy. So it, it, it is a subject that it's, it's who God is and it's so real in scripture because of who God is. And God would draw men to be holy. Holiness is the nature of God. It can only be defined by God and God has set the standard of holiness, what holiness is. God is perfectly good and right, and nothing within God is to be criticized because he is perfectly holy. At times, we may question God in our humanity and wonder, is he perfectly good and right? And we face those things when we face the hard times. I, um, I can't say that I specifically felt that question, at least not a lot, in, in my life. Um, I can't think of examples right now. But I, I can think of examples that do bring those questions to people. One example was... Um, I think it was about five years ago now that my sister-in-law passed away and left behind a husband and a, a young son who was injured badly in the same accident that she passed away in. Um, it, was, it was quite a long recovery for the son and just such a time when she was so needed by both her son and her husband, and yet God chose to take her. And things like that can bring the questions, why? Is God good? Is he always right? And uh, thinking about um, Brother Ryan, the prayer request he shared, and we do praise God that his sister-in-law is doing better, and yet they're in the hospital, why? Why does God allow these things? And just the uncertainties that it can bring of the future. And I think, too, I see Weston and Violet aren't here, but their children are. I think of their little cousin. And um, um, this would be Daphne's niece as well, right? Um, suffering from cancer at such a young age. 
And it can bring those questions. Does God really, does he care? Does he know? And, you know, I think, though we ask these questions, I think if we could fully catch a glimpse of God and who he really is, that we would be able to see more clearly, that we would be able to understand. And I think that when we are with God in heaven and see him as he is, a lot of these questions will be answered, even though we wonder here. You know, as humans, we can make rules that we break. And I, I guess I think of that as a father, how we have guidelines for our families. These are things we will not do because we are leading in our family. We care um, about our families in the direction. And, but we can break those rules. I, I guess one example I, I thought of is we have chosen for our family that um, we don't eat at restaurants that serve alcoholic beverages. And um, yet I can, if I feel like it, I could go eat at a restaurant like that and could break that rule. And you can probably think of other things um, where where you may have a, a rule or a guideline for your family. And probably all of us are, at least myself, guilty of breaking some of those rules. But that is not like our God. God has made his laws of holiness, and he will not break his laws of holiness. It is outside of his character. God, we ask the question, is God always good? God is always good. And he always will be faithful. Isaiah 57.15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one. You get a picture of this? The high and lofty one. A, a, an amazing, just a... sure what word I want to use, but just a, a high picture of who God is. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Having listened to several messages on humility or pride and humility, and just that God calls us to be humble, and that is where God dwells with the humble, the contrite, the broken ones, to, revi to revive the heart of the contrite, the penitent.
Exodus 15, I would like to read several verses there. Chapter 14 of Exodus. is the account of the Israelites coming to the Red Sea and God opening the way. God parting the waters of the Red Sea. And miraculously allowing the Israelites to go through and then destroying the army of Pharaoh. A giant they had to face. I just thought of that now. But anyways, um, Moses, the children of Israel, they come over on the other side. And chapter 15 is a song of Moses. And I was debating how much to read. I don't, yeah, I think we'll start at verse 11. That was the verse I um, want to look at there. But I believe that Moses is awed by what he has just seen. He has seen the power of Almighty God. He has seen his deliverance, and it was real. And I, I think Moses probably saw God in a different way than what he had seen him before. Exodus 15, 11, we'll read down through verse 19. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in, the, in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Pal Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm. They shall be as still as a stone till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over, which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. I had to wonder what that song must have actually sounded like. Um, how that Hebrew, Hebrew music must have gone. Um, just kind of an interesting side note there. But um, I think... I think it would have been quite different than our music. And, and I, I think it would have had a, a beauty to it that would have been really enjoyable to listen to. But I also think, I, I think I, I really would have liked to hear Moses singing it. Just, 
this was bursting forth from his heart. And it was a real song on his lips. He is awed, again, by the deliverance of God from Pharaoh. He had seen the power, the judgment, the mercy. He had seen the holiness of God in God's deliverance for him and his people. In thinking of, of the holiness of God and maybe bringing it to uh, something maybe more of what we can understand. My mind was drawn to Genesis. And in chapter 1 of Genesis, we have God and his creation of the universe. The six days, and then in the seventh day, I believe is in chapter 2, where he rested. But how God, he created all things, and he did it with order very orderly, and he took care to the minute details, just making the universe all to work perfectly in order with itself and with all aspects of itself. And we know that creation works in harmony. In harmony. It works beautifully. Now, we do recognize that because of sin, because of the fall of man, because of unholiness, that some of that is changed. And I believe that things like um, some of the natural disasters that we see in our world today are a result of that. But just study the universe. Study nature. And God's fingerprint of order is there. And just one thing I had to think of here was how the earth, it's cons consistently rotating on its axis. It's consistently revolving around the sun. Consistently, it tilts one way and then another way and causes the change of the seasons. There's days, there's years, and as I mentioned, seasons, and it's all predictable. And I believe that order in creation is a reflection of God's holiness. In chapter 2 of Genesis, beginning at verse... Let's begin at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the earth. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from thence it was parted. 
and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison. That is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Bedellium and the Ongstone. And the name of the second river is Gihon. The same is it that com compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittichel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So God created the universe orderly, perfectly, and it was exactly how he wanted it. And then he says he planted a garden. I think it says he planted, made a garden. Not sure. I don't lay my eyes on it there how it is, but yes, he he planted a garden for Adam and Eve. And often as I think of a garden, I picture our garden at home and it's not what I really consider a really tranquil place to be, um, especially when we don't keep up with it. But anyways, uh, that's a part of the fall there. But I think of this garden that God placed Adam and Eve in. And I, I think it must have been more than just a, it wasn't just a garden plot. It was a, a huge area that was just beautifully planted. The trees were growing up. There was lush, green, probably flowers. I think of the fruit of the trees, just perfect, just beautiful. I don't know what kind of fruit it was, but we just got a picture of beauty, of tranquility. God placed Adam and Eve in there to, to dress the garden. And I think they found fulfillment in caring for what God had given them. There was innocence there. And there was a close communion with God. Unholiness, evil, and impurity was absent from this place. It was, it was what we long for. It was an environment that was a reflection of God and his holiness. Now, in that garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I don't know what that tree was like. But in studying here, I, I just thought, you know, that tree was very likely like the other trees there. I don't know that anything in appearance, I don't know if it was outstandingly different or not. I, I guess I think it probably wasn't 
But it was marked by God. And that tree was known to Adam and Eve. I don't believe that there was evil in that tree. But rather, the problem with this tree was that God said Adam and Eve were not to eat of it. You may differ with me on some of this, and that's okay. I, I don't have, have fact for some of that stuff. But what the problem was that God said, don't eat of it. We know that that was the problem. And God, in his holiness, he was perfectly fair with man in giving a free choice. That here it was. Please don't do it. But he allowed man to choose between good and evil. The problem with this tree was the heart of man. In verse, actually we'll turn to chapter 3 of Genesis. So we've seen this picture of holiness, this environment that God placed man in along with the choice to do right or wrong and we know the story that Adam and Eve chose to take of that fruit they chose to disobey God and because of that they were driven from the garden and in, in Genesis 3 16 through 19 we read of some of the effects on Adam and Eve and all their children following. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So here we have the opposite of the picture of holiness, the opposite of the picture of order that we were looking at with God in his holiness. You know, today we do not live in an Eden. We know that well. Our world is not an Eden. But our hearts can be a reflection of Eden as we live in holiness with God. There can be order within our lives because of holiness which God brings to our lives. I'd like to turn now to Isaiah 35. And just thinking of that order and that beautiful, that beauty, there is a, a beautiful passage here of the imperfect exchanged for perfection. 
I didn't look a lot into the background of this. I did a little bit, and I believe it is referring to to um, a return of Israel from captivity. But we can apply this to Christ's kingdom and to his people. Imperfection exchanged for perfection. Isaiah 35, 1. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And then highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away the way of holiness, the way of order, the way of peace, and God bringing about good perfection for the imperfect. The highway of this life is not an easy road for the Christian, but it is a highway of peace and holiness that we can experience within our hearts. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we have that very familiar passage, verse of the call to holiness, a very specific call by Peter. In fact, a call to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, 
Be ye holy, for I am holy. You know, we live in this fallen world, and we face that conflict with the flesh to be holy as God is holy. It's a high calling. Be holy as the example of God is that of holiness. You know, sometimes I, I think we can visualize that Eden is good and that we want that experience within our lives. But sometimes I think we have a hard time letting go and coming to that place. A hard time of hating evil and unholiness that would be within our lives. But that's where it needs to be. If we are going to be holy people, growing in holiness, we need to have a hatred for the unholiness, the things that are not of God, in order for it to be rooted out of our lives. I think we at times have trouble seeing how evil ourself really is. In Doctrines of the Bible, it says, as we consider his righteousness, love, purity, faithfulness, goodness, and marvelous grace and glory, we are prepared to appreciate his loving admonition to all his people. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And I think we need to gain a picture. We need to know, we need to see more and more the beauty and the holiness of God if we are going to long, truly long, to be a holy people. As we see, consider his righteousness, love, purity, faithfulness, goodness, and marvelous grace and glory, we are prepared to appreciate his loving admonition to all his people. Be ye holy, for I am holy. You know, Isaiah caught a glimpse of that holiness in Isaiah chapter 6. The beauty, the majesty, the purity, the justice of Almighty God. He saw his holiness, and then Isaiah was keenly aware of his own unholiness. He saw his need for cleansing, and God was faithful to cleanse him. A heavenly being took a live coal off of the altar and touched it to Isaiah's lips. And we know that fire is cleansing. Isaiah knew that he needed cleansing for his lips if he was going to be a vessel for God. Hebrews 12.29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. And if we're going to be a holy people, just as Isaiah was cleansed, as his lips were touched with that coal of fire, we need to be willing to go through the cleansing fire, that consuming fire, to be cleansed of our unholiness by Almighty God. In the Christian Light Education Lightlines, 
um, I'm not sure how long ago this was, but there was an article that was entitled Conviction for Holiness. And that, that title, I'm not really going to share anything that was in the article, but the title stood out to me, Conviction for Holiness. Do you and I have a conviction for holiness? Do we have a belief in holiness and a life-changing belief in holiness? That it's God's way. It's the only true way for a Christian. And I believe if we are going to be holy people, we have to have a conviction for holiness and that, that we'll allow God, we'll long for God to cleanse us with his consuming fire so that we might be a holy people. Just a verse in closing here from Revelation 4.8. I think we probably uh, know the verse well or recognize it. Kind of gives us a, I guess I didn't read from Isaiah 6 this morning, but I referred to it kind of a, a vision of what happened there in Isaiah 6 and what Isaiah was seeing. It says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. They did not rest day or night. I had to think of being in heaven with God and seeing his holiness. Seeing the holiness of God. Is there any time to rest? You know, we know that there's not going to be rest needed in heaven. But I think we will be so busy with God and who he is, there will be no time to rest. We will be consumed with the holiness of God. There was some a little phrase here stood out to me in this verse. Speaking of the heavenly beasts, the four beasts with the six wings, they were full of eyes within. And I think when we get to heaven, we are going to be full of eyes for our almighty God. And I think we're going to be busy. We're going to be consumed with who God is. We're not going to be consumed about ourselves and the things around us like we tend to be here on this earth. Brothers and sisters, I ask you this morning, I ask myself this question, are we striving for holiness here on this earth? Holiness on this earth is a foretaste of what we look forward to experiencing in heaven. And I just, may that be our challenge, that we are here all for God, to become more like God in his holiness. Thank you. Let's rise for prayer.